0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that what led them to be top performers in their respective industries and in their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the show, guys. Today, we have a unique and special episode. uh, The first ever father-son combo. Uh, Today, we have the honor of having Ido and Noam Gavish. Uh, Ido Gavish is the visionary behind Gavish Real Estate and Property Management out here in Las Vegas. Uh, he's read, been a real estate leader in, since 2017, a seasoned broker, investor, and family man, and leads a team of top-tier realtors and property managements. Beside him, we have his son, Noam Gavish, a standout commercial realtor, specialized in surgery centers, uh, making a splash his rookie year in 2019 and securing over $10 million in sales. And just excited to have these guys, father-son combo, and uh, it's going to be an amazing episode. Thanks for coming, guys. Of
1: course. A pleasure. Thank you The has been... Since 2007, not 17. Yeah. Seven, that's just a little no, bit longer. That's my
0: fault. Only a decade off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was
1: 10 years a friends. We have some
0: real estate legends here today, guys. <laughs> 10 <so>. years among <laughs> friends. Uh, you know, we'll start with you, man. If you could give uh, the audience, for those that don't know you or don't see your guys' buildings all around town for the locals here, give a little background about who you are, how you get started, and we'll we'll hop into it.
1: Whew, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Yeah. It is, man. Uh, we're looking for like uh, t- the elevator pitch or what? Whatever, yeah, whatever, uh, dude. So real estate has always been a passion of mine. I actually have a finance degree with a minor in real estate. Um, always loved it since I was a little boy. You know, my parents sitting around on Shabbat dinner table and the friends would ask, what are you going to do when you grow up? I said, real estate. What in real estate? I don't know. We'll be in real estate. So, It's always been a passion of mine. Um, when we moved the family to Vegas in 2001, shortly afterwards, I got licensed. Started working as an agent. Very quickly found a lot of success. And then in 2007, when the market turned, something happened with my previous broker. I wasn't happy about it. Called my father. May he rest in peace. Had a conversation, and he listened to the whole spiel. At the end, he simply asked me, so do you want to have, first he said, so are you done? I said, yeah, I told you everything. He goes, great. Do you want to have the same conversation next year? And I was like, "Mm, no. He goes, okay. And that was it. That's what he had to say. So I called the the real estate division and got my broker's license and then 2007 opened my company and it's been a hell of a ride.
0: The rest is history. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Noam, did you always know that you were going to be in the family business or how did you get involved in real estate? I wouldn't say I always knew. Okay. From a young age, I thought I was going to be a race car driver. Like we all. (laughs) Right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to go fast, genuinely. And I'm grateful I surrounded myself with friends and family members that have given me the opportunity at a young age. So I thought I was going to go down that path. Genuinely, I was looking into NASCAR, IndyCar. I wanted to do that for some time. And it shifted when I was in college. And being in university, I was at Boyd Boyd Business School here at UNLV, and I enjoyed it. I really loved it. And the one class that truly popped out to me was real estate. And thank God I was able to be raised around somebody who is a professional in this field and deeply cared about real estate. It was a genuine passion of his. He's not doing it just for the money. He does it because he freaking loves it. And being able to lean on him during college really opened the door for me and said, okay, I think I can do this. And then once I got into it, I go, no, I don't think I can do this. I know I can do this. And I know I can kick ass in this field. So not always. But now I'm really grateful I got into this industry and I'm grateful to be working with my dad because I know not many people get that opportunity. And especially working with family, you know how difficult it can be. 100%. So I'm grateful we have such a wonderful relationship and you raised us right. That's for sure.
0: No, that's awesome, man. I mean, for those that are locals in Vegas, you probably have seen or heard of the Gavish uh, real estate. You guys are all over town. So, a lot of the viewers, and I'm grateful you guys actually came and talked to our sales team out here in Vegas and, and threw some fire. But a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurship and sales, drop shipping, certain things uh, that they have high income abilities, right? I'm a firm believer that if you want to create freedom, you need to get into a vehicle that has no cap on your income. Because if you're working for someone else, they always have uh, the determination on your worth, which usually isn't what you equate your worth to be. So in your guys' experience, obviously, you have a real estate empire, but for the newest person that maybe doesn't have as much real estate experience, on the investing side of things, what value do you guys see in real estate? We've always heard before, you know, the most millionaires ever have been made in real estate. Can you kind of break down why real estate and how the average person can create wealth through it?
1: Sure. So it's just a fact that most, most millionaires have made their money in real estate. But the biggest thing people need to understand is real estate is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is a function of time. Mm. So as long as you have time on your hand, you'll make a lot of money. And I'm talking strictly from the investment side, right? So strictly from the investment side, so why buy real estate? Because you could leverage your money. So the banks will give you a loan against your money. And the biggest example, the simplest example you can explain to people is... If you wanted to buy if you, a, a stock, and the stock is cost you $100 a share. It doesn't matter. And I have $1,000, I can buy 10 shares of stock. That's it. Obviously, there's margin calls. There's different things you could do. But straightforward for most people, you bought yourself 10 shares. In real estate, if you're trying to buy a property for $100,000, you typically need 10%. That's $10,000. The bank is going to give you $90,000 loan against it. Obviously, you know this, you've been in the game, you've done it. But for average people, they don't understand it. I'm surprised how many people come to me and I go, hey, you should buy this house. This is perfect for what you wanted. It's 500000 Well, I don't have 500000 Or in some cases, we're dealing commercial people in commercial real estate when we're talking about $5 million and the people have never owned it. They're like, what? I don't have $5 million. Look, why would I bury it in real estate? Well, first of all, you don't need to. In commercial, 20 25%. Depends on the scenario, depends on the product, sometimes 30%. The bank is going to give you the loan and the rest. But we digressed. If you bought a house for $100,000, and that house, you've only put $10,000 for our example, if you put 20%, $20,000, the appreciation that's happening on the house, you get it on the entire amount. Mm. You don't get it on the part that you put down. Leverage. It's leverage. So, right, we bought a house for $100,000, if there's 5% appreciation... We've made it on the 100000 on the value of the house, not on what we put it. And the bank doesn't come to you and go, hey, I need a piece of your appreciation. No, that's not yours. That's mine. That is, in essence, the biggest power of real estate is leveraging that. And as you're building equity in the house or in commercial, depends what we're talking about, right? you can access that money without paying on it by refinancing and taking that money and investing into additional product and additional
0: Uh, assets 100% you're So
1: having a a tangible asset that can grow and make a lot of money from you
0: yeah and I think that's the thing that really opened my mind up exactly what you just said is just the ability to leverage because the cash flow aspect I think a lot of people, you know, you see the Grant Cardones out there and all this social media and everyone's like cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, Mm -hmm. which could be discouraging because in today's landscape, it's very hard to find a deal that's going to cash flow. Right. I always had this figment of imagination that like, okay, I just need enough cash flow from real estate where I make enough money uh, where it covers my my uh, my nut, my financial nut, and then I can retire. but you actually extrapolate that out it's going to take a ton of real estate's cash flowing two three four five hundred dollars a month in order to actually start creating some serious wealth where mm-hmm. you can retire from you know your day-to-day but so what you're saying is the appreciation aspect of owning an asset and history of the world real estate's probably going to go up right over a long enough time horizon mm-hmm. um and then obviously at scale you create wealth now is that the same strategy so that's residential obviously you guys have built Quite the empire and commercial and a bunch of different assets class. Did you start with residential on the investment side and then branch into commercial and multifamily, or like what what strategy for a different assets class would you recommend? I would recommend,
1: unless you have daddy that can back you, to start in residential. The biggest reason for that is the cost of entry, the point of entry. How much money do you need is much less than it is in commercial, right? Uh, if you've never owned a home, you can take advantage of FHA. If you were a veteran and served our country, you have VA benefits where you can buy a house with no money down. And then today's landscape, we can negotiate for you that the seller will pay for the closing costs a lot of times. So you actually walk into a house with no money. When we're talking about the investment side and we said uh, you're owning the property, you're putting in a tenant in there that's, okay, cash flow is one thing. But let's assume we're not cash flow. There's our payment, our mortgage payment all in is X. It doesn't matter the dollar amount. And we put in a tenant. If that tenant covers our nut right there, he's paying off our mortgage. So I don't need that $100, $200, $500, or thousands of dollars cash flow. If I have a reliable tenant and he's paying my mortgage, then at the end of the day, I'm going to have an asset that's free and clear if I choose it to be free and clear, or I can refinance
0: and pull the money and do it again. 100%. Can you talk a little bit about the tax advantages of real estate? Because Mm -hmm. I think especially for people who are 1099 or have a high active income – The cash flow, like we talked about, isn't super inspiring, but a lot of people buy real estate, this specific asset class, for the depreciation. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of terms out there like cost segregation and being able to depreciate, you know, the accelerated depreciation. Can you talk a little bit about how someone could take advantage of the tax benefits?
1: Sure. So you want me to chime in? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So the IRS looks at a real estate as a depreciating asset. means they're saying you bought the house for... $100,000, $100,000 at the end of the day it's going to be worth a lot less. It's a depreciating asset, it has a life. The reality is real estate is an appreciating asset. And if you don't understand that, just go talk to your grandparents. Look a couple generations back. How much if they your parents, your grandparents chose to buy a house, chose to buy commercial property, how much did they pay? How much is that house now? And you know, it's, it's cyclical. It goes up, comes down. We've had a recession, 07, 08, right, 10? Uh, we're going through some hard times now. It actually didn't affect the real estate market like we thought it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, but over time, it will always go up, not down. So, it rides it. Did I answer your question did I lose my train of thought here? Taxes. Taxes, all right. So, uh, the IRS is looking for as an, a depreciating asset when it's actually an appreciating asset and you get to write off what you're doing in it. So, hey, I, I had to paint it because the tenant left. Well, that's an, an expense against your property. I had to replace the roof. If the roof was 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, I had to put a new roof on it. Well, I get to write that off as an expense. So even if I made $15,000 cash flow on this property, but I had to spend $15,000 on the roof, I, I got to wash. I don't have to pay the money on that, right? Uh-huh. So definitely consult with your tax advisors. Sure, not a CPA, not yeah, tax advisor. I'm not a definitely tax not. advisor. Nope. Yeah. And uh, But there's a
2: lot of benefits to owning real estate. Yeah, I want to back, piggyback off that idea as well. We were talking about when we were speaking with your team about taxes, and we were speaking about losses as well. And one of the big things that people don't take into consideration is what can you afford? Can you afford to take a loss is a big deal, right? For all, a lot of us, we have properties that are sitting on the market for some time. It's natural, three, four, however, arbitrary timeline and it's sitting. Well, that's a loss that you're taking. And on top of that, you have a mortgage arbitrary numbers here, $2,000 a month, but I can't get somebody in at 2,000. We just can't make it happen, but I can make it happen at $1,800 a month in rent, right? You're taking a $200 is that difference. It's significant over time, but can you afford that loss? So that's really big in our industry and something we speak about a lot. And we we're talking about bigger players in the game. They can afford to take those losses because of the appreciation over time. Right? I know I'm taking in $800 a month, $1,000 a month, whatever it may be. So you have consistent income, but yeah, hypothetically and
1: technically, you are taking a loss. And so the, bigg- the biggest uh, advantage is oh. your mortgage interest. You get to write off that mortgage interest. Mm-hmm. And you're paying rent, and you're paying, I don't care if it's $1,000 a month or $5,000 a month or any sum in between, there's nothing you can write off there. right? There's obviously more creative... CPAs that could figure things out. But in general, no, you're paying rent. It's through the money away, right? Uh, when you own the real estate, that interest that you're paying on your mortgage, you get to depreciate that. You get to write it off.
0: 100%. I'm curious your guys' uh, perspective on this. Everything that's going on in the economy right now with interest rates and uh, inflation and, and house prices through the roof. Obviously, you've seen a lot of different trends when it comes to real estate, uh, Mm -hmm. especially you know, especially here in Vegas specifically, which we'll get into. Um, But it feels like the average person, maybe my age, maybe that has a fixed income, is getting priced out of the market potentially. My question is, where do you see real estate, Um, and how do you think the average consumer can fit in to start buying real estate with the way things are going? Because I believe that there's not going to be a middle class in the next decade. I think you're either going to be wealthy or you're going to be poor with the way inflation is going. Do you guys agree with that statement? And how does real estate fit in for the average person looking to create some wealth?
2: I have an idea. You want me to go first? Sure. So you bring a really powerful point and it's really tough question for a lot of people because there's headlines, right? The big headlines we always see are interest rates are rising, interest rates are lowering, right? Interest rates are always a big party, a tough topic. Point being, the way I explain it to a lot of younger investors that are coming into the game saying, I can't afford that. Interest rates are too high. Well, what can you afford? Let's talk about that dollar amount. So I think it's really important, regardless of time, regardless of interest rates, regardless of what's going on in the world, is simply, can you afford the mortgage? That's a big question to be asking here. And one thing I relate to my friends that are looking to get into industry is, let's talk about cars, for instance. We both love cars. We all love cars, right? You want to get into something new, you're not going to turn away even though interest rates are at 7% because you wanted the car, right? Right? Can you afford the monthly payment is what matters. Can you afford the down payment? So I think regardless of trends, regardless of what's occurring with interest rates, what's most important is can I take over that payment? So a really big question, powerful note that a lot of people just get so worried about. Oh, my God, we see interest rates are at 7%. What am I going to do? His parents, my grandparents, paid 18%. Was it 18% interest rate? From the bank, not hard money. Exactly, from the bank. And we don't see hard money now at 18%, right? You'll see 12%, 30% at hard money. From the bank, traditional lending, you're 18%. So regardless of time, regardless of what's occurring, again, it's really important to note, all the listeners out there, can you afford it?
1: And I totally agree with you. I see that uh, with the state of the economy and what's happening, we're creating a big a um, rift between the classes right and there is a big trend if you're looking at it and you're seeing what's going on that we're actually pushing the first time home buyer out and you're increasing the amount of rentals just drive around Las Vegas look at how many apartment complexes have been built yep. why, why all of a sudden well people are getting priced out of the house so now you're going you're pushing more and more people into renting it's a scary thing and that's why when people ask me should I buy Yeah. When is the best time to buy? Yesterday. Mm -hmm. You missed it. That was yesterday. So if you wait, it's only going to run away from you. So when people are waiting, the real estate is not stopping. It's a runaway train. It's just going to keep going. So the quicker you get on this track, the quicker you get on the train and start owning, the better and quicker it is to acquire additional ones. Right? And look, investing in real estate, it's not for everybody. My father was scared can I say shitless? Yes. He was scared <laughs> shitless of real estate. He was really, you know, he didn't. He, why? Because he had a friend that owned a rental property and the tenant left and took all the cabinets. And to him, that was a non When When that was presented to me, I was like, well, that's just an opportunity to make an insurance claim and get new yeah. cabinets. This is brilliant. I was never afraid of that. So what can the tenant do? What's the worst thing they could do? Burn your house down? Have good insurance. So you We rebuild. That, that's the worst case scenario, right? So it's, it's, you gotta get into the game. You gotta get into the game because the classes are separating. And if you wait, then that house that you could have bought for, well, let's use a real life example, right? That house that you could have bought in 08 and two, 2010, that for $50,000, that house is now $350,000, $500,000. People buying that house now, and they're like, well, oh, my God, how much more can it go? Well, my prediction, it'll be double. Well, when? How long? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll put any money you want that it will double again. And then what's going to happen after that? It'll double again. People go, no way. Really? No way? Why don't you look at Southern California? Yeah. You know, you have so many people that bought houses for $80,000, brand new house, and that house is $3 million. How do you justify it? Time the same house but that's what happened well material costs is so went up that high no that's not the reason supply and demand they don't make any more land god's done he retired he's not making any more this is what we got so we got to use it and use it wisely
0: no i love that and a quote that comes to mind it's it's not about timing the market it's time in the market mm. because over a long enough period of time you know i'm curious I'm, I'm too young to really understand what happened in 2007 and 2008 but based on my experience and, and my outlook, it, it seemed like when a lot of people lost a mo- lot of money is because they were over leveraged and they couldn't afford the payment when the renters left or whatever the case is, so they had to panic sell. right? Because I think the only way you actually lose money in real estate, logically thinking, is if you can't afford your payment and you have to sell in a down market. Other than that, as long as you can afford it long term, eventually, like you said, the market will come back. What do you think happened in 2007 and 2008? Because I feel like a lot of that fear has translated over to people mm-hmm. um, in today's market, and how could people avoid that in the future? Mm.
1: So this is a very loaded question, and you brought up a great point. Because of your age and Nam's age, you were kids when you lived through that. I lived through that. I helped thousands and thousands of people through it. My company, we sold more REO, real estate owned foreclosures, than anybody and then after that i predicted that we're going to have a short sales and we had tremendous amount of short sales that we did when anybody came to consult with me the first question i asked is who gives a shit how much that house is worth can you afford the payment well yeah i'm still making the same money actually i'm making more money than i did the year before then why do you want to sell it Well, because I owe $500,000 on this house, I'm just using arbitrary numbers, right? And the house is not worth $250,000. I said, who cares? It's a roof over your head, and this is where you raise your children. Can you afford the payment? Do not sell this house. Do not do a short sale. Write it out. The ones that listened to me, that house went back up and considerably more than what it was owed before. Mm -hmm. So they did very well. The people that had no choice, look, there's scenarios and, and life happens. Um, and you have no choice and you have to sell it you have there's foreclosures there's deed in lieu people give keys back to the bank and there's no one answer that fits all there's so many different scenarios so many different factors but that's what I did I consulted with so many families but that's the first thing I did why because it's a function of time so it's a hiccup in the market in life so can you ride it out and that's when a lot of people made a lot of money and that's when people make a Ton of money over the years is during recessions as they acquire more. Yeah, what was and Warren Buffett just say? it out.
0: He says his quote is, "You want to be fearful when people are greedy, and be greedy mm. when people are fearful." Yep. I feel mm-hmm. like that was a, a huge indicator. Uh, let's talk about leverage a little bit. We 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 mentioned how real estate, why it's such a valuable asset class, is because of the ability to leverage. You know, higher asset for your, a small down payment per se. When it comes to leveraging your asset to go buy more assets, right? We've there's a ton of real estate gurus online, and a lot of people hear the the Burr strategies and house hacking and all these different you know new age things, and, and I'm sure some work. Um, when it comes to leverage, where do you guys fall in terms of? how much you should put down on a property. Should you put 10% down? Should you put 5% down? Should you put the lowest amount down so you have the lowest amount so then you can go buy more Mm -hmm. properties? Do you refi depending on time and do cash out refi to go buy new properties? Where do you guys fall in terms of the leverage aspect of real estate and how much you should have in the property versus be putting down?
2: So it's a really powerful question. You bring up a really good point. And the most important thing to preface is it's case by case. It is constantly changing. Even if you have two people that are both worth $10 million, both people are worth $500,000 each to their net worth, they could use very different strategies. So personally, I think I could say this for you, is we've done the very traditional route, very conservative, right? You put our money where it needs to be, you do it correctly, you have your property that's worth X, you go to the bank, go, I want to refinance, I want to leverage this cash to purchase more properties, you have options. Point being, I think he's chosen, after all these years, to do a very traditional route, with a lot of people do. And he brought up an interesting point talking about burst strategies, talking about wholesaling, so many different strategies in the market today all have different benefits, right? Our benefit that he's been focusing on, that looking from the outside, looking in, since I was a little boy, is that traditional route. Do so you want to talk about what that
1: means for you? Well, it really, so when you're asked, it, it's a loaded question. And, it's, and there's, like Noam said, it's not a one answer fit all. Mm-hmm. It's how old are you? How long are you going to stay in this game? There's so many factors involved here. And you have to really focus on what you want to do. I don't believe in being overextended, right? That is good if you use it correctly. But we have a we have quite a few homes that are free and clear. So when I sit with people like, well, why don't you take a loan on that and it's like, why? Sleep better. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. do I need it? If I needed it, look, if there's having free and clear assets, right? And they're they're cash flow and they're all rented and they're bringing you cash life happens life goes up and down right your business can go up your business could go down when you have an asset that's free and clear and the situation happened you can always borrow against it and you can also sell it if you so choose never a fan of selling it crazy as a real estate person (laughs) you know convincing people or helping people sell their homes you know but if you don't have to sell it I've sat in many listing appointments and said, why do you need to sell this house? That's the first question. Why do you want to sell this house? Is it a need or is it a want? Well, we want to buy another one. Okay. Do you have other cash? Yeah, I've got cash. What's the interest rate on this house? You're asking all these questions to really consult with people to really understand because people don't understand about it. They go, well, I don't want to be a landlord. What about it don't you want to be a landlord? about? Well, I can't imagine getting the call in the middle of the night because the— li- why do you need to turn it over to our property management? Give me an address where you want a mail check or give me your bank account and I'll deposit your funds every month. Right, hands off. Just go do it again. But can you replace this house if once you buy it? What interest rate are you sitting on with this house? So did that answer?
0: Yeah, no, totally. It, it definitely depends on the situation. It depends on the macroeconomics, what's going on. It depends on your own personal situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with real estate, like many things, most people think there's this one fit all formula when it's not the case. Like you said, right, you could find two people with hundred million dollar networks and they got there completely different with completely different ideologies. So I think the takeaway here, guys, is figure out what's right for you. If you're not exactly sure, go find someone that has the results you want in real estate or whatever um, and then get that advice. I really like that. Uh, So, you know, I'm, I'm curious. So like for me, my real estate journey has been. You know, I got my parents a house. That was my first house was like $280,000 house in 2019. And then I ended up getting a house in 2020 for myself. I ended up getting my parents another house, moved them out of there. Long story short, I now have five single family houses all because of me just living in a house, upgrading or having my parents live in a house and upgrading. That's been my strategy. But I've always wanted to get into multifamily and commercial and all these things. I'm curious, how was your strategy to go from, hey, I'm interested in buying real estate, get your first house or two houses, to now having an empire of multifamily, commercial, uh, uh, real estate syndications, all of that? Mm.
1: Before we jump into that, I'd like to bring up an interesting point which you hit on, which is There's a thing called capital gains in real estate. And there's short-term capital gains and there's long-term capital gains. And the IRS looks at it differently if you're, what hat are you wearing? Are you an investor? This is an investment property versus this is a primary resident. This is the house that I'm with my wife. This is the house I'm raising my children in. You're allowed to sell that house every two years, pull as a married couple, $500,000 without paying taxes on it. So I know a lot of people in the industry that every two years move and they take that money and they roll into another house. Look, the reality is I could have made many millions of dollars if I wanted to do that. Sherry and I, my wife, Nam's mom, we made a conscious effort not to do that. And we had tremendous opportunities, but we wanted the stability for our children. So we wanted them to grow up in the same house with the same neighbors, with the same kids, in the same neighborhood. And that, I believe, gives grounding for the children. So again, everything is a choice in life. And when you're young and no children, absolutely take advantage of it because you're not married to the house. It's just a house with four walls and a roof, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So buy the house, pull the equity. If you need to sell it, if you don't, Great, you've got a great mortgage on it right? because that's where you got as a primary resident, it's a better mortgage yeah. than it is an investment property, and now go buy another house. So that's a choice right there. So now we just had to get that out. I love that. I, I, th- I think it's very important to keep balance in life, mm. and for me, um, someone told me a long time ago when I had asked him a question about business, he goes, you have to choose You cannot be a tremendous father, an amazing father, and amazing businessman. Choose which one you want. And to that, I called BS. And I had to prove him wrong. So we've been married 34 years, Uh. and four kids, three grandkids. And I I believe I was able to keep that balance of life, of family life, being a great husband, being a great father, um, as well as a great businessman. Mm. So it's not just all in one. You got to keep balance in life because it's, it's not just one thing.
0: Yeah. I love that you said that before we we go into your, your real estate evolution, because it's so true. There's a concept that I've been dabbling with. It's it's and or or, right? You can be a great father or a great businessman. It's not or, it's and, mm-hmm. right? And when you think in an and instead of or, you find the possibilities, you find the time, you find the energy to do both. Where so many people, it's even in my business, do I be a good salesperson or do I recruit a team? Like, no, you do sales and recruiting. You manage and lead. You invest and you make money, it's not or. So I love that you brought that up.
1: It's very important. And people go, well, how'd you do that? That's a question I've had many, many times. How do you do that? I was like, well, start with your calendar. I live by my calendar. So you go in your calendar and the first thing you put on your calendar is all the important dates. Well, for me, the important dates were every one of his soccer games, right? Everything Mm. that he did in school that was important to him was important to me. That was on my calendar. Now, when a client called me and said, hey, I'd like to see a Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I didn't tell him that, oh, Tuesday, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, sorry, I can't meet you because I'm going to my son's soccer game. Because really, I don't care what they think about that because it's for me, right? So instead, my response is, I'm not available Tuesday at 2 o'clock because I have a prior engagement, but I am available here or here. Which one do you prefer? Right? Alternative choice clothes. Yep. So just be in control. That's the biggest takeaway for people is on the calendar. Schedule the things that are important to you. And what's important to you? Well, I hope that it's your family life, right? Do you take time off for your wife's birthday? Why not? Schedule it. Can you? Take an extra long lunch. Do something that's important. My wife always says that you can never spoil children with too much time, love, or attention. Mm. Money and gifts are nowhere in that equation, right? This is what they want.
0: No, that's a bar, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think I think too many people they they don't they compromise the wrong things because they don't understand what their values are. You know, it's kind of like most people are working so hard to spend more time with their family, yet they're not spending time with their family when they can because they're thinking about work mm-hmm. you know so it's figuring out what your priorities are your values your non-negotiables right even for me you know i just got uh, engaged right so it's like date night has been huge so it's like before as i got early in my career i would sacrifice my wednesday night date night to um to take a call or do a meeting because that was the season of my life was in it was a grind now that i've matured a little bit and i realized i can have both i put my priorities above it and the crazy thing is my business actually blooms more when i'm focusing on the things that i know i should be focusing on Mm -hmm. yeah
1: it's it's you bring up a great point when i really early on the career before noam was even born I was (laughs) just sisters um i was a chemical rep and I was schlepping chemicals, right? And it's a grind. It's cold calling every single day. And it's 40 cold calls a day, 100 cold calls a day. I would always very competitive. What are you going to do? Okay, I made sure to beat that. Um, and when I was periods of time in sales, you go through dry spells, right? And yep. everything you're doing you're just getting the door closed in your face. And it's like, okay, well, just one more. And it'll happen. Well, just one more. And it'll happen. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. So what was my re- response to that? I just got to work harder. So I'd go to work an hour earlier. Before you know it, I'm like, I'm going to see these CEOs and these plants at five in the morning, and I'm coming home later. I'm staying another hour out. I'm coming home at seven, and still, it's the harder I'm trying, the harder I'm working, and it's I'm falling flat on my face. And my wife sits with me one day, and she says, uh, "You know, I've, I've noticed that the harder you try, the less success you have. Hmm. Can I make a suggestion?" I said, "Sure." So instead of leaving so early in the morning, why don't you have breakfast with the kids? Have breakfast with the kids, take the kids to school, give them a give them a kiss, and then go. And then when you were thinking of going, yeah, just come home earlier. When I started doing that and being more relaxed, the sales shot up through the roof because it wasn't as a grind. We were having more fun. And really, when you're in sales, the customer the the person that you're doing with, business with what do they want they want to have fun they want to do business with someone they can trust are you trustworthy are you honest are you ethical and are you having fun so yeah you bring up a really interesting point that you
2: taught us from a very young age and I've learned in this in this business and you could relate to this too when it comes to solar sales and sales in general is it's not all business yeah People are deterred. You come up to them and go, have you thought about selling your house? It's like, whoa, what are you coming at me like this for, right? Solar coming in. Have you ever thought about buying solar? You're like, um, right? No. His famous line I've heard for years and years is it's 95% interpersonal communications and 5% business. Hmm. If you work with people you enjoy working with, everything else comes. When I first started out, I was door knocking, like he speaks of, just hustling, a grind. It's not fun. Not fun, but
0: it teaches you a a lot, lot.
2: exactly. And I was learning why am I banging my head up against the wall, going, I can't get a single person that's interested. I've done fifty doors and no one said yes. Well, he sat me down and goes, Are you talking to them about who they are as an individual? You having a real conversation with them about interpersonal communications? Like, no, I wasn't. And as soon as I started opening up I go, Hi. Right. Have a real conversation about life. How are you? Oh, you have kids here. Amazing. What school do they go to? Genuine, because I care. I genuinely care. It's not just to get a sale done. And he's learned over the years that we don't work with people we don't like working with. Mm. He's grateful to say he's now made the decision that, no, I'm not going to work with you. You're not worth my time. Too big of a headache. Too much anxiety on a day to day. Like, why would I deal with you? And we're grateful to say now that we pick and choose. Thank God. But for those up-and-comers, those young hustlers that are coming into solar, working on sales, I think a big advantage is teaching them about interpersonal communication. It's not all about business. It's not all about making money. It's about living life, enjoying your time, working with people you want to work with.
0: Well said. Well said. No, I I love that. Let's talk a little bit about freedom because you guys, I feel like real estate for me is correlated with freedom. You know, When I think of location freedom, doing what I want, when I want, with whoever I want, being able to choose who I work with, not who I have to work with. I think of real estate because I know, hey, if I get X amount of properties, the cash flow X amount, it covers my expenses. I'm able to go and move to Tahiti and go hang out and play video games, whatever, right? Whatever, whatever you end up wanting to do. Is
2: that really what you want to do? You want to go no, to Tahiti? No, it's again? not. I'd,
0: I'd, <laughs> I'd like to go to Tahiti just to go hang out, but maybe for like a week or two, which is interesting. Another concept is the more successful people I get around and the people that in my mind have made it right, mm-hmm. that have enough money where, you know, their next generation is taken care of, right? They don't have to work anymore. Those people are actually working harder than most people that can't pay their bills. More money, more problems. Which was always so interesting to me because I always thought, "Hey, when I make X amount of money for you know a million dollars, right, seven figure net worth, and it was all this, then it's like you'll make it, or you'll arrive, or you'll end up at this place where you could just go to every single beach around the world and vacation." But most of the people that have that luxury, they don't because i found that those type of people, if they're not accomplishing things, if they're not progressing, if they're not moving forward in something they're passionate about, that's when they get depressed. That's when they get anxious. That's when they're not feeling good. Would you guys agree with that? A hundred percent.
1: Absolutely. Look, I've had the opportunities to travel all over the world and had a ball doing it, right? But I've never been the guy—it drove me crazy. It still does. When I have an agent that makes $20,000 or $100,000, whatever the dollar amount, doesn't matter. It's, for a lot of people, it's life-changing money, right? And then they, you give them a $20,000 commission check or whatever uh, proceeds from an investment that we did, and they don't come back to work for another day, another week, another two weeks. I'm like, where have you been? You know, for me, I, I remember the first time I made a six-figure commission check, the next day, I ran to work, and I was there earlier than everybody else. And Mario goes, "Well, you just made all this money. Why don't you just chill back?" I'm like, no, because I'm on high on life. When I'm talking on the phone, people can hear that excitement in my voice. That excitement, that positivity, is attractive. So I've never, um, I used it as a trophy. You know, the other thing is people that I was like calculating how much money they're going to make, especially. Mm. Whatever you're selling, I don't care what it is—widgets—but straight commission. I never calculated how much money it's going to be. It's doing the right thing all the time, not just when it's convenient. Mm. And then just so you're stacking the money. So what? Let's go. But who are you helping today? Mm -hmm. How whose life can I change today? How can I impact? Because I believe that our mission in life is to leave it better than leave the world in better position than we found it. Right. So how many people can we help? What can we do? And the more you give, the more it comes back to you. It's just how the universe works. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And I can feel the passion. You know, you have to be passionate. You have to believe in what you're doing or else it's not going to be fun. If it's not fun, you're not going to do it long yep. enough. When it comes to real estate, obviously, you've had an amazing career, right, that, you know, you're passing on to your family and, and future, future generations. When you first started building real estate and catching momentum, did you have like a target, like, hey, I want X amount of properties, or I wanted a hundred million dollars, ten million dollars, I want X amount of cash flow? Or what was that carrot, uh, that focus for you as you started building your real estate portfolio?
1: So goals, I hundred percent believe in goals. Every year, I sit down and write my goals. Uh, my wife was going through and cleaning out the the safe with some old paperwork. oh that's right. And she found yeah. on a yellow pad of paper. Three pages of notes of my goals when I was 24, mm-hmm. and um, if you sat and read those goals at 24, if I had showed it to anybody that was older than me, they'd go, "What are you smoking crack? Who do? You, who the mm-hmm. hell do you think you are? Do you want a name on a building? What? Yeah. What, what, are, young what kid? are you talking yeah. about? You oh, that's a great story. I'll remind yep. me. I'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. So, I believe in goals. I believe you should write them down. You should do that and visit them, revisit them every single year. I could tell you that the year that she found it, and I don't remember how long ago, it was a long time ago, she found it and brought it to me. I've achieved every single goal on that list except one. And that one is a private jet. I still haven't gotten there. But you don't remove it from your goal list, but it gives you something to strive for. Mm -hmm. And the goals can change as your life changes, right? The goals are different for you now than they will be when, God willing, you'll have children. Right? So that's okay. That's what life is all about. So change it. But for me personally, when I first started and after I bought my first home, that was the goal, is to buy the first home for my children. Right, Where am I raising my kids? After that, I was like, okay, investment properties. I bought the first investment property. I was like, wow, this is really cool. I really mm-hmm. dig this. Okay, what do I want to do? My goal is to add two a year every year. Well, we've passed exceed that, you know, we could do that in a month, every month. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as you're in it, and as things grow, it just, it rolls, it happens.
0: Snowball effect. You asked
1: me previously about commercial real estate, how I merged into that. You know, so at the peak of my career, I had uh, four offices, 174 agents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started buying the office buildings that we're in. You know, so that's how I got into commercial buildings.
0: So the office spaces you were leasing for your team and your your company you would buy eventually.
1: Correct. Yeah. So I'd buy buy the office buildings, and that's how I originally got into commercial. So uh, I own it in this pocket, and the company rents it in this pocket. So we'd lease it to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And the advantage of what I teach people on that is, hey, when you own a business— not every year is a stellar year. It's just not reality. If you own a business, you're going to have some years where you're making negative money and you're working harder than you've ever worked before. You've got to be ready for those years. So when you own the real estate that you're leasing from, you can have a conversation with yourself and you can say, you know, times are tough. We need to reduce the rent. And you give yourself a break in the rent. And when times are amazing and you're making a lot of money and you need to show higher expenses, you can raise the rent, because you're in control, you own both. Yep. So that's the advantage of doing that.
2: Yeah, and you talk about goals. I think it's important that people legitimately do it. People say they have goals, right? We all have intrinsic goals, whatever it may be. For You might be buying that next house, right? That next investment property. But it's also important to write down the unobtainium, the things that you seem are so far-fetched. How in the world will I ever get there? I've always had on a piece of paper since I was young, because he taught me about putting down those insane goals, was 100 properties. I have a goal to own personally 100 properties, no investors. That's the goal. It has been for a long time. Other and you goals know what? Are,
1: you could do it, and you yeah, will do it. Little by little,
2: day by day, month by month, year by year. And the other one for me is also, I have selfish goals. I've Like I said in the beginning, I love cars. I have that Porsche 911 GT3 RS on my computer, and I look at it every day, right? So have those goals, put them aside, write them down, put it out into the universe. We believe in that deeply. It won't happen unless you do it. And little by little, I, we started talking about the old goal that you had of putting your name in the building. Ah, and the yeah. story that you have was you guys driving around when you were younger.
1: So your mom and I are... Were you dating
2: or you guys are? Yeah, you no, we were, yeah. we
1: were dating. We were dating. We're living in Southern California. I'm driving on the 5 or 4 or 5 through the north. And it was just quiet in the car. We were always comfortable with each other. And I looked at her. There was a building on the left, you know, some big building. And I looked at her. I go, you know, one day I'm going to have a building like that. I'm going to put my name on it. Come on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her answer solidified that this is my soulmate. She goes, I believe in you, and I believe you can do that. But yet I've told that that kind of story to other people, and they're like, who the fuck do you think you are? (laughs) Really? So... I taught my children and whoever is willing to listen that if you could dream it, you could do it. So don't limit yourself by your dreams. Dream big. So when I f- we accomplished that, and I didn't know about it, meaning I didn't realize. The first building that I had, and I stuck my name on it, um, and my wife comes to me, and she says, Why are you so down? Why are you all stressed out? I was like, look, I'm grinding and this and that, whatever was happening that day. She goes, okay, come with me. So I'm like, where are we going? Just come with me. I'm really busy. I need to make another call. Just stop it. (laughs) You don't stop it. Come with me. And she takes me by the hand. And we walk away from the building. She turns me around. I got her getting teary-eyed. She turns me around and she goes, look. And I'm looking at it. And she goes, see? You did it. I looked at my building with my name on it. So,
2: yeah, you get so caught up in the day to day work yeah, exactly. you forget where you are. You're so busy. Exactly. I'm sure you know what this feels like with your business, right? You get so caught up in the day to day and the minutia of what it's like to being starting to build your own wealth, starting a family, right? You forget what it all started with, why it all start, and tying it back to our original point is that goal. So to be able to look back and go, holy shit, I did it. We did it. God willing, one day you get to say that with your wife. We did this together right that's a beautiful thing that not a lot of people take and and really emphasize in their day to day life
0: yeah it's a powerful story a couple things i want to point out there one just having the the discipline and the commitment, and honestly, the courage to declare something that at the current moment you have no idea how you're gonna do it. I think I think faith is the is the starting point of all achievement, right? Like you have to see it before other people see it. You know, there's a great quote: "It's if you can see it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand." And uh, it's so powerful because. If you can, I really do believe as well. If you can internalize something and if you have enough discipline and you're willing to work for it, you really could materialize it. But to your point, it's so interesting because I think about my own life of. Everything similar to you guys. I started getting into entrepreneurship when I was young, 20, 21, 22 years old. Writing down goals, got my dream book, Red Thinking, Grow Rich, right? Like all <laughs> checking off all the things that you're supposed to do. But for years it doesn't materialize. For years you're still you make a little progress and you go down. But if you actually look over a long enough time horizon, every single goal that I used to have, you check off. But we don't take the time to appreciate how far we've come in the journey, mm-hmm. which is challenging because I think a lot of us. We get so caught up in the do, 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 more, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish mindset, which makes us high performers and yep. motivated. But you also need that time to sit back, reflect, appreciate, be in gratitude, because that's going to open up more possibilities yep.
2: for you. I mean, I want to piggyback off this idea. You bring up an interesting point about taking the time to think about it. We're Jewish, right? we was raised religious Jews. And something we focus on is Shabbat. For listeners, that's Friday, sundown, till Saturday, sundown. And we believe in our religion. We do not have any technology, you don't drive, any of that. Well, modernizing this ideology is thinking, this is time to reflect. It's time to think not just on the week, but be grateful for the fact you have family. In fact, you're able to sit down and have a meal together. And so we deeply believe in this, weekly. It's not a daily thing to think back, like, holy crap, I did it, I had an amazing day. Yeah, that's important too, but it's also the weekly thing of realizing how hard that week was, how amazing it was, or how terrible it was. So self-reflection is huge, and I'm grateful that we were raised in such a beautiful family and such a beautiful religion that we do recognize, we do
1: internalize, and we have time to reflect. I start every morning with gratitude. Oh, Amen. You know, my morning prayers, my meditation, however you want to look at it, call it. You know, the first thing I say is, you know, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for giving me another day, thank you for my health, thank you for my wife all the beautiful things in my life whatever you're thankful start with gratitude acknowledge that gratitude the rest of the day is going to be fabulous
0: yep amen 100% amen I'm, I'm curious what You know, what drives you right now? You know, because what drove you back then doesn't drive you now. You know, I believe that as you continue to level up and you climb this ladder of success, you have to continue to reinvent your why and the reasons for doing what you're doing. Because when you start, hey, I want to make enough money to support my family, buy this new house. Then it's, hey, I want the nice cars. I want the nice watch. Then it's, hey, I want to make enough money where I don't have to worry about money anymore. And then you get to this point where if you don't continue to reinvent yourself, I feel like you get stagnant. So I'm curious for you, why... Do you still do what you do? What still drives you? And what advice could you give to people that maybe are stuck or in some type of burnout phase because they don't have clarity of what they're doing?
1: Love that question.
0: Solid. When you're in a burnout
1: phase and you're in sales, if you try harder, you're going to fail. So when you're in that burnout phase, go fuck off. Mm -hmm. Don't go try. And I have so many examples of that; it's just mind-boggling. But the biggest thing I could tell you, I've told Norm this many times. He came to the office with, a, you know, why? Just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It happens to all of us. We're all entitled to a bad day, sure, right? And I said, just go fuck off. Just go, go play. Go, go take a drive. You're passionate about your. Go drive. Go, go to Red Rock. You're pa- You know. I've had many days, I'm fortunate enough to live on the water, and just go take two hours and go fishing. And I come back and I'm a new man. You know, uh, my wife always told the kids, you know, it's nothing a good night's sleep won't fix. Mm. True. Right? So, but if it happens, we all get into that slump. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can fight it. Hey, today, this morning, I woke up and I was just like, I fell asleep at two o'clock in the morning. After 2 in the morning, I woke up at 5.30. That's not much sleep, but I'm up, okay. You know what? I didn't feel like going to work today, mm-hmm. but I put on my big boy pants, and I showed up at the office nice and early before anybody else, rolled up my sleeve, did what I had to do, and an hour later, I'm like, rock and roll, okay, I'm feeling better. I accomplished these things, mm-hmm. and on those types of days specifically, what works for me is I put everything aside I take out my notebook, and I say, what are the 10 most important things I need to accomplish today? And before I do anything else, I will just write them down, and I just start, and start, and just cross it out. They're like, oh, wow, okay, I'm accomplishing stuff. Let's go. So this so is keeps life for human. After all this time, what's the
2: difference now versus all those years ago, those
1: decades ago? Thanks for bringing it back. Um, so what keeps me motivated today is different, absolutely, and it's changed. What keeps me motivated today is you, my kids that are older, to set an example mm. that, okay, you've made it so you have enough money and you got the things are taken care of, then why do you do what you do? Well, I've got grandkids now, and I've got children that are working, and I still enjoy, because I come from a line of teachers, is to share my knowledge, to share and teach anybody that's willing to, to, to do that. When someone comes to me, it doesn't matter the age, and I said, listen, I'm ready to do this. It that drives me. You know, I've got um, a dear friend out in Southern California, and we got together at a at a friend's mutual friend's bar mitzvah. And he goes, dude, I know how to make money. I've made money in my practice. I'm doing really great. I don't know how to invest it. Can you help me? I said, of course. He goes, Zach, I've, I've tracked your career, I followed what you're doing. You know, we've been friends since we are 18 years old. He is can, that to me is the ultimate compliment I don't give a shit about the commission you're gonna make from selling a house big deal you know when back in the day when I needed to feed my kids with that money that was important today it's like I get more jollies out of taking that family showing them how to invest how to do this and showing them how we just made millions of dollars together on this that's fun so what keeps me motivated that helping people seeing other people succeed um, giving a good example for my children being around for my grandchildren now you're creating money and you're creating these assets for the next generation so before it was feeding my children today it's a whole different thing
2: you hit the nail on the head talking about family that that's my personal drive as well and being raised around him and our family mentality it is family that's the drive it should be And always should be for those people out there that have kids, you have a wife, you have whatever, maybe even if you're single, it's to be able to do it, not just for yourself, but to provide for everyone around that you love and care about and provide goes many different layers to that it means I can now afford. I remember the first time I paid for dinner for all my whole family. That was a big deal for me. That was a huge motivator. So it still revolves around the idea of family being able to God willing, one day we all have homes free and clear for all of my siblings, all the grand, everybody. That's a huge motivator for me. It's not just for me. It's for everybody.
0: Yeah. You'll work harder for someone else than you will yourself. I'm in. You know, you need a strong emotional attachment to something bigger than you because you're going to face things bigger than you in your day to day. If you don't have a strong why, you're not going to get through it. Guys, as we uh, wind down, this has been amazing, by the way. I appreciate you guys. We're already uh, out of time. Appreciate you guys. We'll we'll, we'll keep it going. (laughs) I got a few more for you guys. I'm very curious about this because this is uh, personal advice for me. Mm -hmm. Um... Where do you feel like the line is between spending your money, enjoying it, crossing off those dream cars, those dream houses, those dream vacations, versus living below your means, investing, and having freedom? Where is that line for you guys?
2: Mm. That's tough. Everyone's line is
1: different. Right? You feel the same? I I don't think it's a tough question at all. So the thing that I, I brought up or taught all you guys is when you... Two, two sentences come to mind. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's one. Two, I've always taught the kids need versus want. It's good to want. And I would say to you, it's good to want. keeps you motivated, right? Mm-hmm. So just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? And I see all these people, you know, they made some money, you know, especially on all the social media platforms, and they're in front of their Lamborghini, in front of this car, that car. If that's what, like Noam, that that's a huge part of his life, you know, driving fast, going around the racetrack, rock and roll, that's what's important to you. But, for instance, in Noam's case, he's not, doesn't want that so he could show other people. He wants that for himself. That's different. I think most people that we're seeing on social media are doing it for the attention, mm. to draw the eyes of the other people. That's not something that interests me. Um, so... It's, look, we've, when the friends around, of, uh, around us growing up with the children, they would go on every, uh, these vacations all the time, right? We still took the kids on plenty of vacations and they have fond memories, mm-hmm. but not as much as some of our friends. Why? Because I always hoarded the money so I can go buy another house. I hoarded the money so I can invest it in something else. And I'll give you another example with this. Accumulated houses. Our daughter gets uh, married. Two of our our daughters are married. And I was stressing out about the wedding, you know. Got to throw all this elaborate wedding and all everything that comes along with it. And Sherry looked at me and she goes, do why have you acquired all these houses? Why do we have all these assets?" And st- Thank God so many of them are free and clear. Why is that? She goes, why don't you just choose one? Anyone you want, sell it and pay for the wedding and pay for the flights and pay for everything else and remove that stress that you're under. And that light bulb turned on and I was like, yeah, you're right. So I pulled out the spreadsheet. I go, let's sell that one. Mm. Sold that one, paid for the wedding, paid for everything else. And eh, there was no stress. That sucks. I had to sell that house. It hurts my heart. Every time I let go of an acid, yeah. it hurts. But that's why we did it. Yeah. And she just needed to remind me of that. Yep. Right? So that's why you do these things. That's why you hoard it. You know, I heard an amazing sentence. Let's see if I could say it correctly, you know. Work like nobody else does now, so you can live like nobody does later. Love that. Mm-hmm. Right? So just Put away money. Mm-hmm. P- money is just a game. It's just it's it money comes, money goes, right? And all these cliches, money doesn't buy you happiness, and I, it's whatever, man. But you gotta be disciplined. Just because you made a thousand dollars doesn't mean you need to spend a thousand dollars. Yes, absolutely. Live below your means, put, invest, diversify. Yeah. Keep it simple.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Well said.
1: Keep it simple,
2: stupid. I love that line.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I think think for a lot of people, they're on too much of the extreme. Mm -hmm. You know, one side of the extreme is save, 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 penny pinch, don't enjoy your life, uh, have that hoarding scarce mentality. The thing I've learned about money is typically when you make a lot of money for the first time sometimes it actually prevents you from making more money because when you come from not making money to making money you try and hoard that money because you're so scared you're gonna lose it and Mm -hmm. then you're bringing scarce energy to the marketplace and as you guys know money's energy right like you have to be open to receiving and you also have to be open to letting it go so i think it's that balance between staying broke mentally by you know investing putting money away out of sight out of mind get it out of your checking account get it out of your savings account put it somewhere where you can't see it so you have that hunger but also like you said, right, I've been in a situation even you know, at a young age where it's like I have this, this asset or this house or this stock or this thing where it's just like selling it hurts me, but I'm also creating stress trying to find revenue for this specific project that I'm yep. trying to do. So I think it's a good lesson for everyone. Sometimes it's okay to sell something, mm-hmm. even if in your mind it's like you're taking a step back because that's why you're doing it in the first place. Yep. You know, you don't wanna you can't take your things with you. The Egyptians tried, right? Mm-hmm. So it's making sure you're maximizing your life experience, but also having that delayed gratification for long term because I wanna live like other people can't. So I gotta do what other Absolutely. people aren't wanna do today.
2: Yep. And we never live outside of our means, right? What you can afford, you make that a fine line. We always have fun. Thank God. You go out to that nice dinner with your fiance. do all those nice things because you can afford to do so. And for those that are up and coming and don't have that ability to, you still got a budget life, right? Even if you're working wherever you may be working, you're making minimum wage. Can you afford to go get that burger? Can you go forward to go get that new pair of shoes? So we never live outside our means. And being raised the way that we were we really emphasized the fact of, yeah, we chose not to go. They chose not to go on vacations as a family so we can afford more of those properties. It was a conscious decision. It doesn't mean that we were uh, uh, stripped of all of our toys when we were kids. No, they always went out of their way to make sure we had everything we could possibly want. Beyond grateful for that. But he made the conscious decision to pick and choose. And so many people now are just choosing, like you said, one or the other, the extreme of both ends. No, it's it's finding happy balance with everything in life.
1: Balance, balance, balance. And it doesn't matter, but, but it's... Try to play in that game. You know, you're going to the supermarket, and especially today with the prices what they are, before you just grab it and stick it in the cart, it's like, do I want this or do I need this? Mm. And people don't understand it. And there's so many games that you could do with money. And if you go to the basics, I'll, I'll give you um, Elliot, my son-in-law, you're... Your childhood friend, right?
0: Shout out, Elliot. <laughs> Shout out to Elliot. Shout out Elliot.
1: He came to me and he's like, hey, you know, he has a dog and the dog's pooping in the backyard. He goes, I'm going to hire this uh, uh, Poop Patrol people. They'll come and clean up the yard. I said, really? How much does that cost? He goes, oh, it's no big deal. It's like $10 each time they come. I said, okay. I got an idea for you. Would you try it with me? How often are you going to do this with them? He goes, oh, once a week they come. I said, beautiful. I want you to take an envelope and I want you to draw a big pile of poop on there. All right? And I want you to write on there, on that envelope, Poop Patrol or whatever you choose to do it. And I want you to start going out there and cleaning it up. And every time you do, I want you to take $10 out of your pocket and stick it in this envelope. And do not stick your hand in that envelope to take anything out. At the end of the year, I want you to open that envelope and just lay out that cash and count it. Was it worth not hiring that poop guy? what can you do with this money yep what do you want to do with this money yeah
0: it's found money yeah and i i would i would echo that saying that the habit of paying yourself first is almost more important than the amount mm. you know cuz i think you may have talked about this but If you can't save every $10 from every $100, you're not going to be able to save every $100 for every $1,000. You're definitely not going to be able to save every $1,000 from every $10,000. So it's better to respect money when you're not making that much money so you gain the habit of saving and investing. So as your income increases, that is already uh, fixed in your mind.
1: Yeah. So on that point, let's give another lesson with that, right? Because that's great and all. But for so many people, that's not something they can comprehend. Oh, I can comprehend. I'll take $10 out of 100, 100, whatever, 10%, whatever that dollar amount. I don't care if it's 50 cents. But where do you put it? And the mistake that people do is whatever bank you're with, they'll open another savings account in the same bank, and that's where they'll put it. Uh, Please don't do that. Go to another bank. Go to one that's far away from you, that's not convenient, and hopefully a bank with no ATMs. Good luck. But find that credit union. Find that. And that's where you should open that savings account. And then get into discipline that every time you deposit money in that account, whatever dollar amount goes into that savings account in a different bank that's not accessible. Because everybody knows what happens when you have cash in your pocket. Spend it. So that's why every time we accumulated $60,000... I went and bought a house. I bought something, something tangible, right? An appreciating asset, an asset that goes up in value. Mm-hmm. And the minute you do that, everything's gonna work out. Oh, Amen.
0: Yeah, real estate, it's right? Real. It's real. You can touch mm-hmm. it. Like yeah. it's a, it's a physical aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, what's more important to you guys, net net worth or active income? Mm.
1: They're both so crucial, right? Um, if you don't have cash flow, then how are you paying for your your, asset, yep. your life? So it's very important. Don't get so caught up in that, especially a circle back to real estate. You're buying your first investment property, especially if you're buying it today and you're getting a traditional loan from the bank with the interest rates being what they are. It's very common that the rent is not going to cover your total expenses, You know your insurance, your taxes and the mortgage. So what can you afford? Can Like Noam was saying. So if you have a deficit of $100, $200, $300, okay. Can you afford that deficit? You should still buy that house. couple reasons. One, it's a forced savings account. Now you're supplementing that mortgage. But let's take a look at that house appreciation. If you're buying in Vegas and you're buying a new home, pretty much anywhere I can throw a rock, that house is going to go up at minimum $15,000. If you're a deficit of a hundred, two hundred dollars, what did it cost you? Twelve hundred, twenty-four hundred dollars in a year. Well, that house went up fifteen. And that's you're for a new. You're ahead build. of the game. Yeah. Huh? The new builds. Yeah. New builds. Yeah. Right. But you could do this with anything. So we could a- absolutely analyze it and look at it. So there's so many ways of doing this, and so many ways. And and you know, we've done flips. I've done hundreds and hundreds of flips, including commercial <laughs> properties, which is a lot more meat on the bone. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there's so many ways of doing it, but just get in the game.
0: Yeah, you touched on this a little bit as we're wrapping up. Where do you see Vegas specifically, the market, the economy with everything going on? Obviously, you guys are, you know, not born and raised. Maybe, you know, um, but you guys are a big part of the community out here in Vegas and you've seen the city. Where do you see the market, real estate, and how can people get ahead of it?
2: I want to start by telling a little bit about what Vegas was like when we first moved here. It's 2001. I was a little boy, and we decided to move out to the edge of Centennial, which is Lone Mountain. And out there, the 215 wasn't even completed yet. They had a stop sign. Was it stop sign or stop
1: light? What was it? Stop Stop, stop sign. Stop sign. Stop there.
2: sign. And then they eventually moved to a light, and then the light changed into the actual highway. So there was literally nothing. It was dirt. We were surrounded by dirt. Not joking. I thought it was hilarious that they chose this place out in the middle of, quote, unquote, nowhere at the time. Going, What are we doing? There's nothing out here. He goes, just trust, please, just trust me. I promise you it's going to be a great idea. And that house you bought for how much? Do you remember? Of course, $335,000. And what's it worth today?
1: A million. <laughs> okay.
2: And to us, I was going, this is out in the middle of nowhere. But that now, that area is completely developed. You cannot buy real estate or a bare piece of land to develop on anymore. You can go a little bit more north, right? Sky Canyon's a perfect example. For those that don't live in Las Vegas, it is
1: all the way out north. Basically, Utah. Northwest. Oh, uh, yeah. It's getting
2: in there, right? Yeah. So, the
1: end of town and they keep going. Yeah. And
2: we used to do that drive to go to uh, Lee Canyon to go snowboarding. And on the way there, for miles on end, there was nothing until you got to the reservation. Now, there are homes being developed all the way up to the reservation. So, it's always expanding. Always and forever will be expanding. And we touched on this at the beginning is there's always going to be ups and downs like any good market, any healthy market. And we're seeing a consistent up, right? So- please consider real estate. Look at it for yourself. Look at it for your family. Look at it just to educate yourself, too. It opens up the spectrum in the world in general. So I think Las Vegas is going to be a booming place, just as Southern California once wasn't and now is. Las Vegas used to not be and
1: now is. So where do I see it? I've always said, uh, and I've had the fortune of being interviewed on many TV stations and everything else in between, uh, radio and what have you. I always said, and I still believe in my heart, that Las Vegas Vegas mimics Southern California.
2: Mm
1: We are. There's a reason that Amazon moved here and all this. If you drive towards uh, Utah on the 15, you'll see all this warehouses on both sides of the road, right? Just like you have in Norco, North Corona in Southern California. Well, we are a tax haven. We are attracting and we have diversified the business in Las Vegas. When we first moved here, pretty much anybody you met was working in the casino or some aspect related to the casino, right? Any businesses that supported the casino and the hospitality. Today, we have every business that you can think of from manufacturing to medical to research to you name it, we have it here. You look at the cannabis and the labs and the grows and just everything. And we're, what are we, up to 3 million people already? And we still have, what, 160 people a day moving to Las Vegas? I mean, look at our roads. We have traffic. We used to drive from Lone Mountain, as Nam said, to the Strip 20 minutes. Today, that could take you an hour, right? So our city is growing, and I don't see any stoppage. Now Hollywood has discovered Las Vegas. So we're having so many celebrities moving here and buying all these multi-million-dollar homes. Well, if you're coming to Vegas and you're spending five million dollars on a home, well, for Vegas locals, oh my God, five million dollars for this home. Yeah. But if you're moving from anywhere in the world, or how about the United States? You're coming in from New York. You're coming in from Florida. You're coming in from Southern California, Northern California. Five million dollars for this? Yeah. That's a fifty million. That's twenty million. You know, so. It's all relative. So the pri- the reality is price of real estate in Las Vegas is still extremely affordable. If you're relocating from somewhere else, it is still extremely affordable. Our cost of living is really attractive. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we don't have the taxes that other state places taxes state huge, taxes is huge, massive. right? It's a 24-7 town. People say to me, I've and I mentioned earlier, I've had the fortune of traveling all over the world. And I meet people, I'm sitting, with buddies, and we're, we go to a bar and just hanging out and meet the locals. Well, the conversation always goes to, oh, you're a tourist, where are you from? So my buddies from Detroit, they go, where? And, you know, and they would come to me and go, where are you from? Las Vegas. Las Vegas, Vegas, yeah. Vegas, baby. <laughs> Every, where do you go in the Everywhere. world that no one knows Vegas? Everybody. You name the whole in the world, they've heard of Vegas, right? If they haven't been here, it's a goal, it's on a bucket list. There's no end. If you look at what's happening in our valley, you look at the hills. We're surrounded by mountains, right? It's a big valley. All the hills are getting cut up, and we're building houses. The higher you go, the more expensive the house. Why? The cost. The cost of the land. It costs more money to cut the road, to cut the mountain, terrace it off. But we're building. We're building everywhere, and there's no stoppage. Mm. You look at what's happening in the commercial space, you know, Commercial spaces in Las Vegas, you, a buck a square foot it was norm. Yeah, you could pick, you know, office space is going three, four bucks, five bucks a foot. Uh, it's what happened here. And they're all full and they're growing and there's a huge demand because the city keeps growing and the fact that we diversified the work. Look at the amount of hospitals. Look at UNLV. Go to university. That's a great telltale sign. Any city, go to the university. Most universities are sitting in not the best part of town, but what's happening around the university? We brought a medical school. We got one of the top law schools in the country sitting here. It's expanding everywhere. The opportunities are endless. It's Someone told me yesterday, I heard it's the wild, wild west of the West mm-hmm. is Las Vegas. The opportunities here are incredible. I absolutely love this city with a passion because when you know we're empty nesters now. At eleven o'clock at night, we can't sleep. And you want to be wacky? Let's go be kids. You want to go grab a taco? We can go do that. It's open. You want to go see a show? Whatever show you want is here. Hey, I'm a huge Deadhead. Deadhead companies coming here to the Sphere. We got tickets in our backyard. There's, the entertainment is endless. Mm-hmm. The outdoor living is endless. You want to ski? It's right here. You want to play in the dirt and with your your quads and your? It's right here. We got desert. We want to go shooting. We're passionate about our guns. You want to go shooting? There's plenty of places. Whatever floats your boat, you could do it. Literally float a boat. We got Lake Mead. <laughs> uh,
2: so, it, we live in the best city in the world. We really do. The
1: opportunities are endless. The real estate is only going to continue to go up. I think we only scratched the surface. Yep. Um, you want to wake wealth and you say you're a dummy and you don't understand. Just buy something. Buy something, make the mortgage payment on time, put tenants in there to help you make the mortgage payment, and watch what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. I I agree 100%. I love Las Vegas. And, you know, I've lived a couple other places in my solar career, California, Colorado, and nothing, nothing is like Vegas. Like you guys said, from the state tax not being there to the 24-hour amenities to being able to have the strip um, as world-class restaurants, it's uh, – no, it fires me up because – that's the game, right? It's, it's try and find the place before other people and get as much property as possible. And yep. that's how you create wealth over a long period of the mm-hmm. time. So I love that. Guys, this has been amazing. My last question for each of you guys um, is what has been the best piece of real estate slash life slash business advice that you guys have ever received? Best advice I've ever received...
2: Is going back to one of the, the phrases you said already, which is it's good to want. And that really hits home for me. And it does a lot of the time. Because it puts into so many different factors, so many different assets of your life that you're thinking about, from real estate to personal things. Going to the grocery store, like you said, it's always good to want. But advice in general is be passionate. Be passionate about something, hit the ground running, and do it with your whole heart. Don't half ass especially in the real estate, we see new agents coming in. You cannot half-ass this job. If you're getting into solar, you cannot half-ass that job. It is your whole heart. So give it everything you have, always. You can always end up doing something else. Always. You don't like it? Try something else. But when you are doing it, do it with your whole Nishama, your whole soul.
1: I think that's my favorite piece. What about you? There's so many, right? But I'd like to share this. There was a period of time we lived in Oregon, Beaverton. We had dear friends of ours, and her father was a Holocaust survivor, and he came to visit. And he and I just got along fabulously. So we sit in the backyard, and we just shoot the shit for hours. Here's a man that came, moved from the Holocaust to Israel without even a shirt on his back. He's a little boy. He's a Holocaust survivor. This gentleman was a multi-multi-millionaire. And I asked him, what is it? Because this is the same question I ask every person that has true wealth. What do you think the biggest difference with someone that is successful and someone that's not? He goes, oh, that's easy. I go, really? Do share. And here's what he told me. He goes, every person gets an opportunity in life. The successful person looks at that opportunity, jumps on it, and goes. The one that's not looks at that opportunity, analyzes it, analyzes it some more, and finds 20 reasons why you shouldn't do it. Analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. Stop thinking so much. Just do it. Go with your gut. Take a chance. What's the worst? So when I bought a piece of land years and years ago, And I sat with someone I respected that's made a lot of money in this community. And he's done it in real estate and he's done it in other things. And I sat with him as a mentor and I said, hey, I'm looking at buying this piece of land. Here's what it's for. And I'm debating, should I do it, should I not do it? His question simplified it for me. He says, if the renter that you're planning on putting here and the project that I expressed it all if it goes sideways can you afford to pay this I said yeah he goes to do it that piece of land I paid $168,000 for I just sold it for $470,000 I think it was and I'm carrying a note at 12% interest <laughs> interest only Take as long as you want, mm-hmm. right? So there's so many. Take the risks. That was the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, from take, take, take the, the, the risk.
2: risks. Take the jump.
1: Trust take your gut. Mm-hmm.
0: Just do it. What about for you? No, I love that, man. Uh, the best piece of advice that I've ever heard is uh, just be here a year from now. You know, That's, tip, that's typically what I tell people, you know, because all the learning curve, all the challenges, all the insecurities, all the doubts – evaporate with enough time and energy invested into anything. Yep. You know, you really have to suck at something before you get good at something, whether it's real estate, solar, underwater basket weaving, like whatever, <laughs> whatever you're into. Um, so the best advice is be here a year from now and then a year from now, be here another year from now, look up, make sure you're in the right boat, make mm-hmm. sure everything's good, put your head down, recommit, and uh, tunnel focus. I love that. So yeah.
1: The biggest thing I taught to my agents if I say one thing is one more. When my goal was to make 20 calls a day every single day, when I was done, is make one more. And I'd say to them, when I was cold calling, you know, door knocking, and I'm done. I hit my quota. I'm just, I'm spent. I'm done. I want to go home. I just make one more. When I'm hitting the phones and I'm dialing and dialing calling and calling and I don't care if the, just when you're done, you're done done, just make one more. So many times in my career when I've done that, that one more turned into a deal. So that's that was always my drug of choice, you know, mm-hmm. just that one more to see if I can get it today. Mm-hmm.
0: It's power. fun. Yeah, the power of one more. Yep, Guys, thank you so much. You've been amazing. Uh, for the viewers that want to get connected, want to learn more about Gavish Real Estate, where can they find you guys?
1: 702-389-1818. Mm-hmm. 389-hi-hi. <laughs> uh, or GavishRealEstate.com
0: love
2: it it'll be gavish, gavish online you'll i'm sure you'll see us
1: Kapish, that's Gavish.
0: there it is <laughs> thank you guys so much uh it's been amazing just a, a wealth of knowledge and real estate success business sales uh it's been an honor guys thank you so much for tuning in as always we'll catch you next time on the episode hope everyone continues to crush it have a great day shalom